We just celebrated the 4th of July this past Friday, Independence Day, right? The day that our country declared our independence from Great Britain. And in that document, we declared that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are the inalienable rights that we are entitled to as part of our independence given to us by our Creator. But as the culture of America has evolved over the last 238 years, our, our notion of independence has also evolved to the point that our Creator really isn't even a consideration anymore. You see, independence has come to mean that I should be able to be who I want act how I want, when I want, wherever I want, and no one can speak out against that, not even God. Because that's my right as an independent person. Now, I'm as thankful as anyone for all of the amazing freedoms that the Lord has blessed our country with, and I praise God for those things. But freedom and independence are two different things. And as we'll see today, independence doesn't rank too highly on the list of things that God is looking for in his people. In fact, independence isn't on the list at all. Now, we've been going through a series on the names of God. And each name of God reveals a different aspect of God's character, a different view, a new layer of who God is. Last week, we learned about God's name, El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, and it reveals to us how God is the great nourisher and, and provider of blessings. And we looked at the story of Abram and Sarai, and how God promised Abram that he would be the father of a great multitude of many nations, going so far as to change Abram's name to Abraham, which means father, that's right, father of a multitude, father of many nations. And as we saw, Abraham, he, he made some big mistakes along the way, but he had faith in God, and he persevered, and he was obedient and trusted the Lord, and ultimately the Lord kept his promise through a son named Isaac. And today we're going to continue on with the story of Abraham and Isaac and look at the next name of God revealed to us in Scripture. Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. I think it's, I think it's right up here somewhere on the background here. And the name of Jehovah Jireh is, is very closely related to El Shaddai. And so learning about them back to back is actually helpful. And Jehovah Jireh takes us a little deeper into the meaning of God's provision for us. So if you would take out your Bibles, we're going to be studying from Genesis chapter 22 today. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to be studying verses 1 through 14 in Genesis chapter 2. And as, as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. 
I thank you for this opportunity to speak your truth, and I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit, that I would say only what you would have me say. And Lord, I ask that you would send your spirit to convict our hearts and move us so that we would know you as our Jehovah Jireh. Pray this in Jesus' name. Now, as we learn what Jehovah Jireh reveals to us about our Heavenly Father, we're going to break this passage down into three sections. Three sections. And in the first section, we see the painful test of Abraham. The painful test of Abraham. Picking it up in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, after all the stuff we studied last week, and some interesting events with his nephew Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and the king Abimelech, all instances, by the way, where God continued to prove himself faithful to Abraham, God now decides to give Abraham his most difficult and painful test yet. God tells Abraham that he wants him to offer Isaac as a burnt offering to the Lord. He tells Abraham to go and travel three days to the north to Mount Moriah. By the way, Mount Moriah is the same place where Solomon eventually builds the first temple, and it's the same mountain ridge that Golgotha is located on, where Jesus was crucified. So he tells him to go to the same place and sacrifice his son. Now, we've got to see at the very beginning here that God's tests are circumstances that he introduces or allows in order to show us where we are spiritually and where he wants us to go. And everyone, especially Christians, are going to face trials. We're going to face tests. In John chapter 16, Jesus said, In the world you will, not might, you will have tribulation. You will have trials. You will have tests. You will have troubles. But there's a really important but there. But take heart. I, Jesus Christ, have overcome the world. Amen? And when we're in the midst of the test, when we're in the midst of the trial, we need to remind ourselves of the truth of this, that God has overcome, that his plan is perfect, and he knows what he's doing, even though I might be feeling some pain right now. Unfortunately, when we're in a test of sacrifice like Abraham was, we often miss the purpose of the test because we become so fixated on the stress and anxiety and hardship and trial, and we miss what the Lord is teaching us. We, we fixate on the thing that the Lord is asking us to give up, and we forget to trust in our Lord. 
Now, I don't know about you, but this test in particular here that we're reading about with Abraham, this test that God gave Abraham was a doozy, wasn't it? I mean, if I were in Abraham's shoes, just imagine for a moment that you're in Abraham's shoes. I mean, I would probably seriously question if I was hearing accurately from the Lord. I mean, here is the son who God promised me. The son who I waited 25 years for. And then when my wife was 99 and I was 100, she miraculously gave birth to him. And, and this is the son who you have promised I'm going to become the father of many nations, of a great multitude. And, and, and you want me to kill him. It, it, it just doesn't make any earthly sense, does it? And make no mistake about it, God was very clearly directing Abraham to kill his son. The Hebrew word for burnt offering here means to completely burn up, to leave nothing behind of the sacrifice, to offer it entirely to the Lord. There's no going halfway here. God was asking Abraham to sacrifice the son of promise, and this was a test like none Abraham had faced before. And you know what? God knew exactly what he was asking Abraham to do. If we look at verse 2, God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. God knew this was the son of promise, and he knew how much Abraham loved him. In fact, this is the very first use of the word love in all of Scripture. Abraham loved Isaac with all of his heart. And God was asking Abraham to sacrifice the one thing that Abraham loved more than anything else. The thing that was more important to him than anything else in the world. Can, can you imagine the emotional and intellectual battle going inside of this man? I mean, Abraham's faith was colliding with his emotions, with, with his love for his son. And, and it was battling against his human understanding and his rationale and his intellect. And Abraham had a choice to make. Am I going to faithfully obey the Lord's command? Or am I going to go off on my own and live independent of God? And try to live by my own understanding, serving my own emotions and desires. You know, I, I was I was faced with the same type of test at one point in my life. Now, it was nowhere near as severe as the test that Abraham faced. But the Lord directed me to give up something that was very important to me very promising legal career, something that provided comfort and security, something that I had spent countless hours preparing and training for, and he asked me to follow his lead out of the legal profession. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that I needed a little prodding to offer this up to the Lord because I tried to hold on to it. I did. I tried to hold on to it, and I tried to meet God halfway. See, I had just been hired at a great company as in-house counsel. 
My commute was now only 20 minutes each way instead of 90 minutes each way. And I thought, you know what, Lord? i got so much extra time now. I'll just give that time to you, all right? That's, that's what I'll put up on that altar there. You can have that. Four months later, the company had an international scandal. And there were hundreds of layoffs from Japan to the United States. And guess who was one of them? This guy. And I got laid off. And I kind of honestly feel bad for the company because I feel like if I had just listened to the Lord from the beginning, there wouldn't have been an international scandal where hundreds of people lost their job. So I want to apologize to anyone out there who lost their job in that. It's probably my fault. But the point of this is that the test of sacrifice is never easy, is it? It hurts. It's, it's painful. It's harsh. And you know what? This is a test that every single one of us is going to be faced with in our lives. Probably multiple times. Am I willing to sacrifice and surrender the thing that I love the most... The thing that I've worked so hard for in order to faithfully and obediently follow the leading of the Lord. Am I willing to surrender that? Wave the white flag. Am I willing to lay my Isaac on the altar of sacrifice? And you know, we all have our own Isaacs. It's, it's that one thing that you love more than anything else. That, that thing that keeps you going, that you work so hard for, that thing that you're trying to obtain, or maybe that you're trying to please. Now, hopefully that thing is God, right? But if it's not, then your Isaac is probably an idol that God will ask you to put on the altar sooner or later. Now, some of us might be in that situation right now. Some of you may know exactly what the Lord is calling you to put on the altar. Some of you have already faced this test and are now dealing with the consequences of the decision you made, good or bad. And pretty much all of us are going to face this test again in the future. God will tell us to take the thing we love the most and give it up to Him in sacrifice and surrender. And just like with Isaac, God isn't merely going to ask for a portion of it. He wants all of it. He wants the entire burnt offering. He wants every bit offered up to Him. Now, if you're like me, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, why? Why does God do this? Why would he test us like this? It just, it kind of seems cruel in a way. And the answer is because he wants to show us what's in our hearts. And he wants to reveal to us what our real need is. And he wants to show us that Jehovah Jireh will always provide for that need that nothing else can meet. Especially not that Isaac that we're chasing after and putting our affections in with the false hope that in the end, I'll be satisfied. And herein lies a very important distinction between El Shaddai, that we studied last week, and Jehovah Jireh. 
You see, El Shaddai delights in providing rich and nourishing blessings to his children in his perfect timing. Not our perfect timing, his perfect timing. Jehovah Jireh, on the other hand, he, he sees our deepest need. He reveals it to us, and he shows us that he can provide for it. James chapter 1 verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That's, that's El Shaddai language. El Shaddai delights in giving us good and perfect gifts. Jehovah Jireh provides for our deepest need and shows us that everything else pales in comparison. And that is what this test is designed to do in the life of Abraham and in our lives when we experience. See, Abraham faced a choice between holding on to the blessing, Isaac, or remaining faithful and obedient to the giver of the blessing, God. And God wanted to see which one he would choose. And he wants to see which one we're going to choose when we're in that same spot. Because sometimes, just the reality, we can fall so in love with the blessing that it becomes even more important to us than the one who blessed us with it. God loves us, and he delights in giving good gifts to his children, but he wants us to love him apart from his gifts. And the test of sacrifice is designed to reveal that to us. And that brings us to the second portion of the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. The preparation of Abraham. The preparation of Abraham. Picking it up in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they both went together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Now, the first thing that we see here is that once Abraham received the instruction from the Lord, he took his good old time to get it done, right? No. He immediately began to prepare to do what the Lord told him to do. He rose early in the morning. I imagine it was the next day, but the text doesn't say that specifically. But he rose early in the morning without hesitation. There was no questioning God. There was no reasoning with God, no complaining, no arguing, no bargaining, no trying to understand why. He just got up and immediately worked to 
toward obediently carrying out God's command. And notice also that Abraham didn't go and talk about it with everyone else, did he? He didn't go to his wife, Sarah, and say, Hey, Sarah, God wants me to kill our kid. No. He didn't go to Lot or any of his other confidants. He heard clearly from God, and he simply began to do what he was told. Now, oftentimes it is wise and right to go confer with godly counsel. Especially when the will of the Lord is unclear or, or we're not sure which direction to go. But there's an important lesson here for us. When I know God's will, then I better do it right away, regardless of what anyone else thinks. When the word of God clearly speaks to me, and it's black and white, then do it. Those of you who are parents have probably had to explain to your kids that delayed obedience or partial obedience is still disobedience, right? I mean, parents, you can probably relate to, hey, you know, go, go clean your room. And they kind of look at you. And they start moving slowly, right? Taking their time, going up to their room. And then they get there and they kind of slowly put their stuff away. Maybe play with their toys a little bit. And then keep on putting away. And you're checking. It is frustrating. They're not necessarily being disobedient. But they're just taking their good old time and getting doing what they were done told to do. Right? So, at least in my life, I began to add the qualifier that you need to go and clean your room now as fast as you can. So that when they take their time, then I can tell them specifically that they're being disobedient. But you know what? The same thing holds true with us when we receive instruction from our Heavenly Father. If we don't immediately obey, or only partially obey, or take our good old time in getting our room clean, that's disobedience. That's sin. Let me say it more strongly. That is sin. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, the critical component of whether we'll be willing to lay aside our independence and be obedient to our Adonai, our Lord and Master, is whether we're willing to submit to Him and His authority in our lives. And whether we're willing to submit to Him depends pretty much exclusively on how much we trust Him, how much faith we have in Him. Our faith is what produces our submission and our obedience. When we look at Abraham, we know that he already tried to live under his own strength. He already tried to live independent of God, following his own plan and going by his own understanding, and that didn't work out too well for him. In fact, we're still bearing the consequences of that decision to this day. Abraham learned the hard way that he could not depend on himself. He couldn't survive trying to live independent from God. Instead, he learned that he needed to submit to the Lord. 
and give things over to his control and his plan. And when, when he began to do that, he experienced God in amazing ways. He saw God do miraculous things, deliver him from impossible situations and circumstances. And all of these things, all of these tests and trials that the Lord brought him through continued to build Abraham's faith to the point that he was able to completely submit to God's will, even in this most difficult trial. And we see that when they finally get to Mount Moriah. Look, look back down at verse 5. Abraham told his servants that after he and Isaac were done, what? Worshiping the Lord. After he was done giving to the Lord what the Lord was asking of him. Who would return? They would both return. Abraham didn't forget what the Lord told him to do. But he trusted the Lord, and in the midst of the trial, he was able to worship the God who he knew would provide. Here's a point of application for us. Can, can I worship the Lord in the midst of a trial? When things are going really bad. When I'm in the middle of a painful test, am I able to trust my provider and worship him. Trusting that he sees exactly where I am and believing that he has a good plan for me even when I'm in the midst of that trial. Abraham was able to do that. And in verse 7, when Isaac, and Isaac, he was old, and he was probably between 10 and 15 years old. He was old enough to carry a large bundle of sticks on his back. When Isaac caught the drift that they were going to make a burnt offering, and, um, Dad, there's no lamb, what's going on? What did Abraham say? He said, God will provide a sacrifice for himself. God will provide a way. And the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 gives us even more insight into the faith of Abraham here. It says that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Here we go. He considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. See, Abraham believed that God would provide an acceptable sacrifice for himself. And even if Abraham actually had to go through with killing his son, he believed that God would raise him back from the dead again. That was how much faith Abraham had. He had tremendous faith, and that allowed him to submit to God's will. But you know what? we got to hear this. That faith wasn't just there, lickety-split. It didn't just materialize overnight. One day he just woke up and he could do anything the Lord asked him to do. It developed over decades of trusting God and believing his promises and submitting to him in the smaller tests. So that when this last test, this most difficult test yet, came, Abraham had the faith to submit to the Lord yet again. See, Abraham was facing a new test. But he knew he was following the same God who always provided and had never once failed him, had never once let him down. 
an English preacher from the early 1900s, tells the story of his visit to a young teenage girl in the hospital. And while she was in the hospital, the doctors were trying frantically to keep her from going blind. And unfortunately, their efforts were in vain. And when he got there, he began to talk with her, and she said to him, God is going to take away my sight. And he listened to her for a while, and then he asked her a question. He said, has God ever let you down before? And she shook her head no. And then he said these words to her. Don't let God take your sight. Give it to him instead. Trust and submit to the Lord and give him every part of you, even your sight. After that conversation, the young girl had peace and was able to trust and submit to the Lord. And she lived a productive life because she learned how to worship, how to give it up to God. The God who will always provide. And that brings us to the final section of the story. The provision of God. The provision of God. Where we finally are introduced to this powerful and reassuring name, Jehovah Jireh. Picking it up in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. There it is. And you know what? We, we can't miss that God provided the ram as a substitutionary sacrifice only after Abraham was willing to let go of Isaac. Was willing to let go of his independence. Was willing to let go of what he loved the most and completely trust and submit to the Lord. It was in that moment, after he was able to do that, that God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides. Now, the root word for Jireh literally means to see. And that's why I keep saying it's the God who sees and provides. Because God sees everything and knows exactly what we need. 
He knows our struggles. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our deficiencies. He knows our failures. He knows everything that's in our hearts. And he knows precisely what we need to draw us closer to him. And he will provide that if and when we humbly and obediently toss aside our independence and put our faith in him to provide for what he sees we need. Not what we see we need, but what he sees we need. Say that ten times fast. Right? Not what we see we need, but what he sees we need. Because the beautiful thing is that God sees our need even before it arises. And he makes provision for it even before we know we need it. I mean, while Abraham was going up one side of the mountain, God had the ram coming up the other side. Abraham didn't know what was going on, but God did. God saw. God's provision is always in motion well before we ever see it. But the question is, am I going to see it? Have I come to know the Lord as this kind of God? Do I know Jehovah Jireh? sad reality is that many of us don't know God as Jehovah Jireh because we're not listening to him. God is still waiting for us to put aside our independence and trust and submit to him, to finally act on what he's called us to do, to finally give him our Isaac. And unfortunately, we aren't willing to put our Isaac on the altar of sacrifice because, well, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to do what the Lord says. I want to be independent from God. And that's what these tests are designed to do, to see if we're willing to trust, submit, and fear the Lord. Look at verse 12. We see the angel of the Lord speaking to Abraham from heaven. By the way, most Bible scholars agree that the angel of the Lord here is Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus. So we have Jesus speaking to Abraham, and he says, Now I know what? Now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You were willing to give him up, to depend on me. Tests are always designed to see if we truly fear God. Do we trust him and have a reverential awe for him? That's what fear means. It's not like trembling in my boots. It's I have an awe for God. I revere him. I recognize he is God. He is Elohim. He is Adonai. He is the great I am. And we see this principle of testing all throughout the Old Testament as the, as the Lord would continually try his people to show them what was in their hearts that they didn't see for themselves and to bring them to a point of submission and trust in him. He tested them so that they wouldn't live independent from their provider. And more than that, he wanted to teach them that they couldn't live independent from Jehovah Jireh. That, that no one can. 
And if we try to, if we try to live independently from Jehovah Jireh, we'll die. Not, not only just physically, but spiritually, eternally, we will stay dead forever. God sees those areas that we're holding on to, those Isaacs that we keep grasping, where we're not completely giving all we have to the Lord. And God won't stand for that. He, he loves us too much not to do something about it. It's because he loves us that he wants to see us depend on him. That's why he tests us, to draw us near to him, so that we can let go of the Isaac and find our satisfaction and fulfillment in him. And ultimately, that's what the name Jehovah Jireh is all about. God sees our desperate need for him. That's what our need is. And he'll test us so that we can see that same truth for ourselves. That ultimately the only thing that we really truly need is a relationship with God. And just like with Isaac and the ram, Jehovah Jireh has already provided an acceptable sacrifice for our sins so that we can have a relationship with him and have our deepest need met. Just as God provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac, so too has he provided his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the one whom he loved so that our deepest need can be met. And that's what Jehovah Jireh does. He provides a way to have fellowship with himself. And the way he provides that is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This entire story of Abraham and Isaac points forward to Jesus Christ. From the place where the sacrifice was made in Mount Moriah to the substitute of the ram for Isaac, all the way forward to Jesus. Jehovah Jireh sees our need for a Savior, and he has already provided it, even when we don't see it for ourselves. And even if we've already put our faith in Christ and accepted his sacrifice, Jehovah Jireh continues to see in our hearts. He continues to see those Isaacs that we hold on to, and he tests us to keep us from holding on to them. So that we can put to death our flesh's call towards independence from God and worship him by giving it up. So this Independence Day weekend, let's recognize we can't be independent from God, from our Jehovah Jireh. We've got to totally and completely depend on him and his provision for our lives. When we cease depending on ourselves and our own understanding, and we're willing to put the Isaacs in our lives on the altar of obedience, the Lord will see that, and he'll provide for us in ways we could never possibly imagine. 
He has already provided His Son for us so that our deepest need for fellowship with God can be met. And Jehovah Jireh wants to continually provide the way for us to keep drawing closer to Him. God longs to be Jehovah Jireh to all of us. But He wants to know that you're willing to faithfully obey Him. Willing to place your Isaac on the altar of sacrifice, proving that there is nothing of more value and importance to us than our relationship with him. When he sees us do that, when he sees us faithfully trust, submit, and depend on him the way that Abraham did, that's when we'll discover the power of our God who sees and provides. Jehovah Jireh. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.